If there is room on my tombstone, then the chorus of that song is what will be there. You know, the Boy Scout motto is what? Be prepared. Right. Boy Scout motto is be prepared. And so I have a a slide here. I was in the Cub Scouts and in the Boy Scouts. And and so uh, see if you can pick out little Billy uh, from Royal Gates fourth grade class in 1966 and 1967. Uh, yes, I'm the one in the Cub Scout uniform, pretty much that's shorter than every other person in that picture, perhaps with the exception of Lisa Blackburn, who is on the uh, lower right, as you're looking at it. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about Lisa Blackburn. Um, the Boy Scout motto is be prepared. I didn't finish Boy Scouts, one of my few regrets in life actually, although I understand completely uh, why it didn't happen. I got up to the rank of life scout, which is right under Eagle, needed to do a few more merit badges, a few couple of projects, and I would have finished uh, that Eagle uh, scout assignment. But uh, uh, there were other things going on in my life, and so I, something had to go, and it was, ended up being uh, Boy Scouts. But I loved my, my experience there. On a good day, I can still recite the Boy Scout Oath and the Boy Scout Law, which, as you know, is a whole lot of, of items. Um, but all of us uh, remember that motto, be prepared. And to be good bad guys, we must be prepared. In this sermon series that we just began a couple of weeks ago, Um, we're talking about being good bad guys. Not bad guys in the eyes of the Lord. Good guys in the eyes of the Lord, of course. Um, But bad guys in the eyes of of many in the world. Not even bad guys in the eyes of all of the world. Uh, Many in our community, many in this country still, look to Christ and to Christians and to Scripture as good things. I realize that. But not everybody. And perhaps more than ever before, and especially they're being more vocal about that opposition. For many, uh, those who uh, name the name of Christ, those who uh, seek to fulfill and live their lives according to the teaching of the inspired word of God, the Bible, uh, they're not only seen as bad guys, but as evil (laughs) in some circles. And so we we understand that, and as we've seen in this study, that that shouldn't surprise us at all, because first of all, Jesus was considered a bad guy. You don't crucify people you think are good guys, and that's what happened to him. Uh, The first century Christians that we read about in the pages of the Bible in the New Testament, they were considered bad guys after a very brief time. Uh, After that, the Jewish community, the pagan community, the Romans, uh, the Greeks, they all... uh, came in against Christians and sought to destroy Christianity. And it was actually that way for almost 300 years, longer than the United States has even been in existence. That thought still makes me stop in my tracks. We think we have it so horrible now. They had it far worse than we have it now. Um, And they had it for longer than our country has been in existence doesn't uh, make light of the seriousness of our day and time. It's just to say, 
why is it that we would be surprised that not everybody goes along with our Christian faith and our Christian convictions and that some even try to silence them? But we want to be good bad guys. If there are those in our community, in our nation, in our world that consider Christians and the church to be bad guys, then let's be the best bad guys we can be. (laughs) And that's where this series is coming from. Trying to figure out how to do that. How to be faithful to God in the midst of a community, in the midst of a culture, in the midst of a society that is not only unsympathetic to those values, but in, in, in many times opposes those values. Um, so how do we be good bad guys? How do we live that way? And we're going to be talking more about that in the weeks ahead. We have our wonderful seminar this coming Sunday. And then in the next several weeks before we get to Thanksgiving, we, uh, we're going to be looking at how to do that, how to be good bad guys. And that really starts with this message today. And the message is we should be prepared. We should be prepared. But be prepared for what? Be prepared for what? And, and how do we do that? Well, those are some of the things that we'll, again, talk about some today, but also in the weeks ahead. So a few things today. First of all, be prepared to confess. Be prepared to confess. And that word confess can mean different things to different people. To acknowledge, uh, uh, to assert, to witness, used as a verb, uh, to witness to someone or something, to testify. Be prepared to confess, but confess what? Acknowledge what? Witness to what? Testify to what? That's what we'll be sharing about uh, today. And as our shepherd, Ken uh, Culpepper, alluded to in that great passage in Romans chapter 1 that speaks to the pagan world and says they would not confess allegiance to the creator. Rather, they confess with their lives, their actions, even their words at times, allegiance to the creature, ultimately allegiance to themselves. We spoke about that some last week. Scripture, however, does not give us any leeway on this one. And it starts with the very words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, where Jesus says, if you confess me before others, I will confess you before my father in heaven. And if you deny me before others, I will deny you before my father who is in heaven. And again, we're tempted to think, oh yeah, but sure, Sure, they could confess. I mean, Jesus was there. The disciples were there. They had each other. They had all these miracles. Everything was going their way. Of course they could confess, no? Read all of Matthew 10. (laughs) Because in Matthew 10, Jesus warns them, people are not going to accept your message and they're not going to accept you. They are going to violently oppose you, in fact. Later on in the Gospel of John, he would say, "There, there are gonna be people who will kill you thinking they are doing service to God. That's how bad it was. Again, for 300 years, it was exactly that bad. It's that bad in some places in our world today, not here in this country, thankfully. But it is in other places and it's difficult here. 
And yet in the midst of that, Jesus tells them, if you are willing to confess me before others, I will confess you before the Father. To confess, yes, you are a believer. Yes, this is what you believe. Yes, you are my disciple. Yes, you are my follower. Yes, you believe that I am Lord. For a while before the Emperor Constantine, the Romans would gather up the Christians and they would say, repeat after me, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would not. Instead, they would say, Jesus is Lord, and they would be killed for it. If you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. We need to be prepared to confess. And we spoke of the word witnesses, and that's the word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the Acts 1 version of the Great Commission that we read about in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and Luke 24. And and in, in Acts 1, verse 8, Luke records Jesus saying just before his ascension that you are to be my witnesses where you live and then in the surrounding areas and then to the very ends of the world. You are to be my witness. What does a witness do? Well, a witness testifies. A witness confesses what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have experienced, what they know. And Jesus told us, his disciples, that that's what we're to do. And for the the rest of the book of Acts, we see that lived out (laughs) in the lives of the first century Christians. And many of them paid a price for that. Beaten put in jail, even killed. Doesn't go too far in the book of Acts before we see that. In chapters 3 and 4, Peter and John are brought before the authorities because of a wonderful miracle that they did to alleviate a man being lame. And then in chapter 5, all of the apostles are arrested and are beaten and flogged. We read about that wonderful sermon of the first Christian martyr, one of those faithful seven chosen in Acts chapter 6, Stephen. And he paid the price for that sermon with his life, being stoned to death. Just a few chapters later, the first apostle is killed, James, the brother of John, in Acts chapter 12. They were prepared to confess. We need to be prepared to confess as well, to acknowledge we believe. Not be proud about it, not be arrogant about it, but not be shy about it either. Certainly not deny it. Even if we have to pay a price bill, yeah, sure, of course. And we'll say more about that in a moment. Even if we... Even if we might lose some friends or lose popularity or even lose position in my job, be prepared to confess, to confess. Secondly, be prepared to answer. That builds on that. What do we confess? (laughs) Well, be prepared to answer. And we turn to that great passage in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. The books of 1st and 2nd Peter are written to Christians in the first century who were at the bottom of the social scale. They were immigrants. They had had to leave the area of Palestine because of the persecution led by the apostle, or soon to be apostle, but the Jewish leader Saul of Tarsus, soon to become Paul the apostle. 
But before then, before that road to Damascus experience, before that baptism that he has as he becomes a Christian in the city of Damascus, he was trying to destroy the church, and so they fled. They fled. Well, some of them went up to the areas of the northern, central, or or western part of modern-day Turkey, and that's likely who uh, Peter is writing to in 1 and 2 Peter. And as they went there, they had nothing, they had no money, they had no jobs, they had no family, they had no place in that area, but that's where they went. And so now how how do they live at the very bottom of their community with nothing? And so Peter talks to them about that in First and Second Peter, and especially First Peter, he talks a lot about being persecuted and how to live when you're persecuted. How do you submit to a government that is antagonistic to your values? How do you serve a community that does not, not only does not appreciate that, that service, but actually holds you in contempt for it? How, how do you do that? That's what First Peter is about. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. After telling them, don't worry about the people who can do you physical harm. But he says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. How do we respond to that? People who treat us maliciously, people who slander us. It's the same way. We live with hope. (laughs) And when we do that in an environment that is not conducive to that at all, but actually is in opposition to that, People notice we stand out, not because we're tooting our own horns, but because we're just living life in the midst of wherever we are, but we live it with hope. And in our communities and in our society today, is that not needed more than anything? People with hope, people who acknowledge the difficulty of the times and everything that we're going through as a nation, and yet at the same time, live with hope. That hope that uh, uh, Danny Skipper read from, read about from Revelation 21 and 22, where we see that picture of what it means to have the presence of Christ in the midst of persecution. That is our hope. It's why we love those great heaven songs so much. Hope. I know whom I have believed, as Paul told Timothy. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Do we really believe that? And if we do, we will live with hope, no matter what the external circumstances look like. And when we live with hope, people will ask us about that hope. And so we need to be prepared to answer. That's what Peter tells them, and that's what he tells us. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Because if you do it in arrogance, if you do it proudly, if you do it with a chip on your shoulder, they will know and it will be meaningless what you say. 
your goal is to win an argument, you might win some of those, but if your goal is to help someone become closer to the one who died for them, you're going to have to take a different turn. One of gentleness and respect, even with someone you completely disagree with. Gentleness, respect, consideration, love. They may speak against you, they may treat you horribly, but your good behavior, your conduct, your love will be your response. And that great ending to the second letter of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, as he cautions us about those who would come to us and, and have doctrine that is not true in opposition to us and the things that we're teaching. 2 Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But instead of that, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Be prepared to confess. Be prepared to answer. And again, how do we do that? Well, 1 Peter 3 said we do that with gentleness and respect. 2 Peter 3 says we do that with grace and with knowledge. If all we have is grace and we don't have the knowledge, we're not prepared. And we won't be able to answer the questions. And that's why our seminar coming up is so vital and so important and so timely. It will help us be prepared to answer with knowledge. But if we answer with knowledge and no grace, then we're not speaking the truth in love, as Paul tells us in much the same context in Ephesians 4. We may have all the knowledge, and it can be uh, the truth that we speak. But if it's not in love, and if it's not with grace, it's not biblical, and it's not Christ-like, and it's not effective. But we can speak with grace and truth. We can act with consideration and respect and knowledge. We can do that. We can be prepared to answer. And we see a great example of that in the Apostle Paul. As Luke records in Acts chapter 9, he was uh, face-to-face with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded and prayed and fasted, repented for three days in the city. And then Ananias comes to him in chapter 22, verse 16, and says, What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It means to believe and repent and confess and be baptized. How do we wash our sins away? Same way. Same way. And so they talk to Paul and they challenge him and they arrest him and he's given a chance to defend himself in Acts 22 and 26 and he is prepared to answer. But it's not with high theology. It's with his story. Here's what happened to me. Here's why I believe. Here's why I'm acting the way I'm acting. See, I was going into Damascus one time. I was... I was a horrible person. I was persecuting the church. I was putting people in jail, having them beaten. I was there when people were killed. And then Jesus came face to face with me. My eyes were blinded and I asked him what to do. And he said, go into the city and it'll be told you what you should do. And so I did. And I prayed and fasted for three days and three nights. And then a man, a Christian man by the name of Ananias came. And he told me, get up 
Paul, you're going to do great things for the Lord Jesus, but first get up and wash away your sins by being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul defends himself. That's how he was prepared to answer. And so a few things. Be prepared to answer the question, why are you a Christian? Someone comes to you today and asks you, why are you a Christian? What would you say? What would you say? If someone comes to you today and wants to hear that story, be prepared to give your elevator speech, (laughs) your elevator pitch. You know what that is, right? It's if you're trapped in an elevator with somebody and you're going a few floors and it takes you maybe two minutes, can you tell them in that amount of time? Now, Joyce's mom, my mother-in-law, I love her. I loved her deeply. She's been gone for several years now, but she could be on an elevator with someone for one or two or three floors. And by the time that elevator stopped, she knew everything about them. (laughs) And if it was a hospital elevator, they knew everything about her and why exactly she was there. What's your elevator pitch when it comes to why you're a Christian? What would you say in just that few minutes time that you have with somebody? And so be prepared to tell your story. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Be prepared to tell your story. What do you mean, Bill? Well, it's very simple. It's a three-part sermon. (laughs) Your life before Christ, how you became a Christian, and your life after becoming a Christian. And that's it. Yes, you'll need to direct them and take them to some scriptures sometime. And maybe you can do that. Maybe you can call on someone else to do that. But you tell them your story. Here's, Here's how things were in my life before I came to know Christ. And here's exactly how I became a Christian. Man, that river water was cold. That creek was cold. Some of you could tell that part. Or some of us could say, man, that baptistry was cold. (laughs) There was a whole church gathered there. It was on a Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. There were three or four people gathered there. It was on a Thursday night after a Bible study. I'll never forget it. It was at camp. It was one of the most marvelous experiences of my life. It was because of the influence I saw in my grandfather, my grandmother, my wife, my husband my Bible school teacher. Tell them your story, your life before Christ, how you became a Christian, and then how Jesus has been there for you since. And be prepared to respond to a few typical pushback questions. You know, you don't have to know the answer to everything they might ask. Do what I do. Get a real blank look on your face, kind of shake your head a little bit back and forth and say, I don't know. And they will respect you for that. And that'll be okay. And you can say, but let's find out together. Over the next several days, let's, let's find out. Be prepared to respond to a few typical pushback questions. What's one of the ones that's very common today? Why is this the word of God? How does Genesis survive in the presence of organic evolution? Where do the dinosaurs fit in in the message of the scriptures? All of those questions are going to be a part of our seminar this coming weekend by someone who has been studying this for years. We all need to be here for that. 
And we have 249 people, including 32 children, signed up to be here on Saturday. Saturday. The vast majority are members of our church family here. But perhaps 30 or so, maybe more of those, are from 14 or 15 different families that aren't members here. And so when we say, please, uh, please be considerate as you park, that, we do mean that. Now, if you're one of our elderly members, if you have some uh, physical issues, please park close. <laughs> but if you're able-bodied and strong, or maybe at least able-bodied, <laughs> feel free to park a little bit further away from the door if you don't mind. And it would be very much appreciated. We're going to have a big crowd on Saturday. We're going to have an even bigger crowd on Sunday. And we're going to hear very helpful information that can allow us to be prepared to confess, be prepared to respond, be prepared to join in the discussion that people might be having even though we're scared to death. Be prepared to join in because our faith is a credible faith. I personally believe that our faith in Jesus and the God of the Bible is much more credible than someone whose faith is in all of this starting without some intelligent maker. We'll hear more about that this coming weekend. Not too late to register. Brochures on the table in the back. If you're a mind to it, we're going to meet up here this evening at 5 o'clock to help our Family Life Center and our four-year and our children's wing be better prepared for this weekend. But please come. We will live stream it. But the live stream will not be able to have these cool little uh, PowerPoint slides on it because of copyright issues. So if you can be here in person, it will be a much greater effect. But if you can't, we will certainly have it on live stream as well. Be prepared to confess. Be prepared to answer. Thirdly, be prepared to trust. Be prepared to trust. You say, Bill, I just, I just don't know if I can join in that discussion. I don't, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel competent. I don't feel confident at all. Listen to the words of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What's that saying? That's saying that as you're prepared to confess and to answer. You trust God in that process. And God has promised his word will not come back empty. His word will accomplish everything he intends it to accomplish. No matter how inadequate the messenger might be, doesn't give us permission not to be as prepared as we can be. It's just to say, I do not trust in myself in this process. I trust in my God. Just like what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. I planted the seed, this great, marvelous, wonderful preacher and speaker. Apollos watered it, but what? God gave the increase. God made it grow. And my dear brothers and sisters, whatever your attempts might be to put that word of God 
out there. He will make it grow. It will not return to him empty. He has promised that. And we believe it. We are to live by faith. Habakkuk 2 says, 2 Corinthians 5 says, and the writer in the book of Hebrews really takes that passage in Habakkuk 2. And he quotes it at the end of Hebrews chapter 10 to a people who are being persecuted, to a people he had told it's going to get worse before it gets better. My righteous ones will live by faith. They will trust me, even when it doesn't seem to make very much sense. And then he introduces all of those great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapters 11 and 12. Those first few chapters, first few verses in chapter 12, he ends with the best example of all, Jesus Christ himself. Be prepared to suffer, to risk, to lose in the short term. God has the long term. Revelation 21 and 22 affirm that. The whole book of Revelation does. All of scripture does. But God has the short term too. He may not take care of you the way you would like or the way you expect. But he's there. He's present and he's working. So as we close today, we want everyone to be prepared to be with the Lord forever. That's what we want. And again, we'll be talking more in the weeks ahead about how to be good bad guys. But we want everyone to be prepared, to be with the Lord forever. This plaque that you see there is a, my personal mission statement. That plaque was made by our wonderful children's minister, my, our dear friend Donnie Cook, as she did that for all of us on staff as we were sharing a, a while back some of the scriptures that mean a great deal to each of us. And she took our scriptures and she made a plaque for each of us, and this one's mine. From my personal mission statement in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor struggling with all the power that Christ has in me, his energy that people can see in us, not because we answer everything perfectly, but because we proclaim him. And why do we do that? Because we want to present everyone perfect in Christ. That's our goal. That's the message of all of those scriptures that you see on the outline. And what does that mean? Like a rose trampled on the ground. Christ took the fall. And thought of me above all. This morning, if you need to come to that Christ, we want you to and we want to help you do that. Come as we stand and sing our song together.